Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. I could have chosen a more perfect song to lead into what I'm going to do here today. Uh, we do have junior church, correct? Okay. Junior church, you kids are dismissed right now. Pay no attention to these people behind me. We did alert security. They're supposed to be here. Uh, we didn't want anybody getting hurt. Uh, take your Bible this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 3. While you're doing that, uh, while these fellows are setting up, the sermon today is going to be a little bit different. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, as you can see, it's going to be a little bit different, but hopefully it's going to be enlightening. The words of that last song were just so perfect to lead into this, though. You know, we, we talk about being saved in the church, being born again, being you know, redeemed from our sins, and sometimes we just kind of leave it lay there. Uh, but salvation is more than just fire insurance from hell or a free ticket into heaven. Our salvation is just the entrance for us so that we can ascend toward God and build a relationship with God. Believe it or not, God wants to have a relationship, a one-on-one personal relationship with you. The God of the universe that created everything, spoke everything into existence, knows every detail there is about you, and he wants to have a personal one-on-one relationship. But in order to get that, you have to want to know him too. You have to want to know him. So your salvation has to become your starting point, not your end point, that gets you on the path that leads you to where the presence of God is so that you can get near him. And that's what I want to be able to show you today. If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, and then when you get there, lift your Bible in the air, if you will, and say it along with me. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. My mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, he is speaking to believers here, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Oh, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Father, today we pray for your anointing over the word. God, I, I pray that, that we will see some things here today. God, that we begin to understand some things that maybe have been a mystery to us in, pa in the past, but God, uh, I, I pray that you give me the clear words to speak, God, that, that the illustration will work, and God, we'll see something that we maybe weren't aware of. We'll see a relationship with you, a closeness to you that we didn't know was possible. And God, that we might be inspired and to pursue that relationship to draw as close to you as we possibly can. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Everything begins and ends with our perception of God. Satan understands who God is. He has a very clear grasp of God's power and God's authority. The book of James tells us that at the very thought of God, Satan and his demons tremble with fear. They've seen God in all of his glory. They have witnessed God's power firsthand. And like cowering dogs that have been beaten, Satan and his demons shudder in fear at the very thought of God. I went over something with, with some of the, the young ladies that are, that are acting as demons in the garden scene for Journey. And I told them, I said, you're not going to go up and lord over Jesus. You know who Jesus is and you fear him. I said, if Jesus so much as flinches, I want you to move I want you to fear him because they fear him. Satan understands who God is, and he knows that he doesn't have the power to make God any less God than God is. Satan knows his place in the pecking order. He knows uh, that he can never defeat God. He never could. He understands that he can't outthink God. He can't outmaneuver God. The devil grasps the facts, and he has accepted the truth of who God is and that he cannot ever stop God from being God. It isn't a contest, it never was. There isn't a war on over good and evil. There isn't a fight over the souls of men. The devil has already been defeated on our behalf on Calvary's cross and he's always been subject to God in every way. You see, our problems arise because we don't know our Bible. We listen to people and we read books but we don't study the book. We have imagined in our minds this ongoing battle between God and Satan as they contend over the souls of men. We picture uh, uh, Satan as some sort of evil villain uh, who wreaks havoc in the world, while Jesus is some kind of superhero that will occasionally burst onto the scene and set everything straight. But nothing could be further from the truth. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, we're told that there was a time when Satan did rebel. And when he rebelled, there was war in heaven, but it wasn't a war between God and the devil. It was a war between the angels. Lucifer, the great archangel, became full of himself. He wanted to ascend to God's throne, and God sent the archangel Michael to throw him off of the premises. I want you to know, Satan is not only no match for God, he wasn't even the toughest angel in heaven. 
God didn't fight the devil. There was no battle over who was going to rule. It wasn't an uprising, a revolt, or a coup, but it was a rebellious angel who became full of himself, who took his attention off of his creator and king and was reprimanded by God. So we pose this question. If God is so much greater than the devil, why then isn't everything in the world perfect? We blame God for our problems. We blame God when something goes wrong. Nobody ever blames the devil. Do you ever notice that? Nobody everybody ever gets mad at the devil when something goes haywire in their life. It always seems to be God's fault. If God reigns supreme, we wonder then, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there sickness? Why is life so unfair? Why does death steal the life of an innocent child or take out other people while they're still in their prime? Why do good people suffer while evil men live in luxury and ease? If God rules supreme, then why do all of these terrible things happen? Well, the answer to this question is very simple. Pay attention. The devil is a lot smarter than you and me. Satan knows for a fact what we ignorantly refuse to understand. Satan can't stop God from blessing you if God wants to bless you. He can't restrain God from being who he is and all that he is in your life. God says, I am your provider, and I'm your protector, and I'm your comforter. I am your healer, and I am your help in the time of trouble. And there's not thing one the devil can do about that. But the devil knows that if he can keep you away from God, if he can keep you away from knowing God intimately, he can steal from you everything that God wants to give to you and everything that God wants to do for you. Church, that's why we are where we are. That's why the world is in the shape that it's in. That's why churches are struggling and why Christians are compromising because everything begins and ends with our perception of God. If your perception of God is wrong, then everything else in your life is going to be wrong. Your perception of the Bible will be wrong. Instead of viewing the scriptures as God's infallible authority on all matters, you will use pieces of the Bible that fit your agenda and discard the parts that make you uncomfortable. If your perception of God is wrong, your perception of the church will be wrong. You'll view attending church as a duty and serving in the church as unnecessary. If your perception of God is wrong, your view of sin is going to be wrong. You'll take your cues from the world around you. Your morals will be set by the ungodly, and you'll consider sin to be a non-issue because everything begins and ends with your perception of God. In the church today, we see a wandering away from a personal God. Many so-called believers view God as some great unknowable, impersonal power that exists somewhere out there. They haven't taken the time to study their Bible to learn who God is. They don't research the scriptures. They don't see God's face in prayer. They don't long to know him or even attempt to understand him because they're satisfied. They're satisfied in their relationship with God and believe that that relationship is just good enough. It's good enough to obligate God to answer their prayers when they need him, and it's good enough to keep them out of hell when they die. What they fail to understand is that our creator, the great God of all, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords wants us to know him personally. God has given us this book and he says, read it because I'm telling you who I am. I want you to know me intimately. 
The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.10 said, I want to know Christ. I don't just want a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know the suffering of the cross. I want to know everything that there is to know about Jesus. I don't just want to know the Sunday morning Jesus. I don't just want to know the occasional Jesus. I don't just want to know the feel-good Jesus. I'm not satisfied just knowing that he gets us Jesus or the chosen Jesus or the superstar Jesus, but I want to know the Jesus of the Bible. I want to get close to him and know him intimately. Now, I want you to understand something here. The apostle Paul was a born-again believer when he said that. He had spent many years of his life preaching and teaching and planting churches and serving the Lord and contending for the faith. Paul must have had a much deeper understanding of the Bible and a closer walk with Jesus than any of us here today. And yet this this wonderful Christian man, this dedicated Christian man, longed to know Jesus better. He longed to know God intimately. Oh, that I might know him. Paul understood that this kind of knowledge of God doesn't come without sacrifice. He understood that if he was going to know his creator on this level, if he was going to ascend to a higher and richer relationship with God, that he had to leave some things behind. He knew that his sin, all of his sin, has to be under the blood of Jesus. He knew that there were weights in his life that he needed to shed. He knew that there were things that were unnecessary that he had always thought were necessary that he had to let go of if he was ever going to ascend closer to the Savior. So Paul said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, I'm giving everything up. I'm surrendering my all. There's nothing in the world that I want or that I need more than knowing God intimately. I don't need a full bank account. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need designer clothes. I don't need to be rich or famous. I just want to know God intimately. How many of you here today would be willing to make that statement? How many of you would say that you want to know your creator so intimately that you're willing to forsake everything else in your life to know him? You see, we profess to know God. We tell people that we're a Christian and that Jesus is the Lord of our life. But we're nowhere near where the apostle Paul was. Even with all that he had seen and experienced, Paul felt that he had not yet arrived and he cried out in his spirit, oh, that I might know him. So many Christians today don't have the desire to know God that they ought to have. They're satisfied right where they are. They just want to know God well enough for him to help them with their problems and give them heaven when they die, but they don't have a passion to know God intimately. Many people come into the church on Sunday morning in search of inspiration. We come into the church on Sunday morning somehow thinking that the morning service has been organized in honor of us. We come seeking a high or a fix because we've come to believe that such an experience is equivalent to getting close to God. But nothing could be further from the truth. An emotional high is temporary. It feels fantastic in the moment and it is good enough that we want another fix later on, but it doesn't put us in touch with God. I want you to hear what I'm telling you. You can sing and shout and cry tears of joy. You can laugh and hug the person next to you and still never get any nearer to God than you were when you walked in from the parking lot. You can come in here week after week and service after service seeking a high and getting your fix on without getting anywhere near the presence of God. 
You can attend a church with all of the components. There can be beautiful music and inspiring teachers and motivational preachers and still not get any closer to God because you have become self-centered and not God-centered. You've stopped pursuing God. You've stopped seeking to know him because you found that getting near to God takes sacrifice. It's costly. You've learned that getting near to God sometimes means pain and heartache, and you just don't want to go through those things. A few years ago, Jerry Bowers gave a lesson in which he highlighted this very topic. He talked about what it was like when we were first saved. When we first come to the Lord, we want to be in church. We can't, there can't be enough services for us. And we want to worship the Lord, and we want to witness to people who don't know Christ, but over time, our fire dies. Our personal desire to know God dies away, and our passion to draw near to God fades with it, and we become satisfied where we are. Oh, that I might know him. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to help you to overcome your addiction to these quick fixes, break your habit of looking to yourself, to your own agenda, your own desires, and I want to show you how to move into the presence of God. I want to show you what God has showed us in the scriptures. And this goes right along with what we're doing in Journey, so hopefully you're going to learn some things today. Now, we have set up a, our version of a replica of the tabernacle. I want you to know the tabernacle was bigger than this. Our stage is 73 feet long. The outer walls of, of, around the tabernacle was 150 feet long. The side walls were 75 feet long. The tabernacle itself, this is the tabernacle, was 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, and 45 feet long. We can't do that. We also want you to see what's inside because for the sake of learning, I want you to see what is inside of this. The focal point is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, that's where the Shekinah glory of God rested. God called Moses into heaven. He said, Moses, I'm gonna show you something. And God showed Moses the tabernacle of heaven. Now, for a long time, I didn't understand what that was. I thought maybe God showed Moses a church building and told him, now you go down and build one that looks like it. But God is much more precise than that. God gave Moses finite detail on how this was to be constructed to every last piece of the tabernacle, the outer wall, the gate, everything that was involved. He said, now I want you to go down and build it like you have seen it. And Moses went down, and he, he got the piece. I can't imagine. I've done four building programs here at the church. I can't imagine the building program that Moses had when he went to the people and said, look, I need all your gold, need all your silver. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? <laughs> That's probably why God called Moses to do that, not one of us today. And Moses built it exactly as God told him to. And the Bible says that when it was totally finished, that the Shekinah glory of God. Now, God is everywhere, Okay. But the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, descended on the tabernacle over the mercy seat atop of the Ark of the Covenant. They knew that God was there because there was a pillar of smoke over it by day and a pillar of fire over it by night. But it was closed off from the world. They had the wall, the wall that went all the way around it. There would be people that walked by and they would see, see that pillar of smoke or the pillar of fire and they go, oh, I've been in the presence of God. no. You've just seen evidence that God's there. There are people that come by the church today or they come into a service, oh, wasn't, wasn't, I've been in touch with God today. No, you've just seen evidence that God is there, but you're nowhere near him. There was only one entrance into the court, and it was through the eastern gate. Only one entrance. 
The eastern gate is Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father unless he goes through me. You have to come through me. But you see, we have people today say, well, you know, I, I am a very good person. I don't do much wrong, and, and I treat people nice. That's a wall, but it's not a gate. Well, I'm religious. I go to church. I own a Bible. I put my $2 in the offering plate. That's a wall, but it's not the gate. It won't get you in. Jesus said, you have to come through me. So if you're seeking God, you're seeking to know God, there is only one way in, and it's through the eastern gate. It's through Jesus. Immediately, once we're inside of the eastern gate, we find the altar of sacrifice. Right inside of the gate, the very first thing. And on this altar, God required five sacrifices. The first sacrifice was for the curse of sin. We're all willing to admit that. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're willing to admit we are not perfect. We've had a past. And we would willingly give God our past. God, forgive me that. Erase it off of my record. I don't want that hounding me anymore. I want to get rid of that. And when we put it on the altar, it's consumed. Amen? It's consumed. When we lay it down before the Lord, it is completely because it doesn't exist anymore. We are justified just as if we had never done it. And we say, okay, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I'm ready to come in your presence. And God said, not yet. There's another sacrifice you need to make. And this sacrifice is for your personal sin. This is for your personal sin. Well, what do you mean? You know, I gave God my past. I gave him the curse. Yeah, but you get that one thing that you keep doing that you know you shouldn't be doing. You got that one sin that you've hidden from everybody else that nobody's aware of. That one sin in your life that you believe you have under control. And God said, I want that too. I want that too. You need to lay that on the altar and have that consumed too. And reluctant, uh, reluctantly, many of us will go, okay, God, I, I know, I'll give you this too. And we, we put it on the altar. We say, okay, God, now I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to move into your presence. God said, not yet. Now I need you to serve me. Well, what do you mean, Lord? I need you to serve me. He said, I need you to serve me. I need you to do what I command you to do. I need to be in charge of your life. I need to be in charge of everything. And maybe even here, reluctantly, we'll kick it, God. What do you want me to do? As long as it's something I'm comfortable with. As long as it's something I'm good at. No. God said, I want you to serve me the way I call you to serve me. So we put it on the altar. We think we're now ready, and God says, no, you had another sacrifice to make. I need your will. You're never going to serve me if I don't have your will. I need to make all of your decisions for you. I need to guide you in which way you're going to go. I need to set your goals and your priorities in life. And we will say, okay, God, I'll give you my will too. What's left? And God said, one more sacrifice. I need you to be holy as I am holy. I need you to be sanctified to me from the world. Put everything else on the altar. You're all on the altar. You know, a lot of good people get hung up right here. They don't get any closer to God because they're not able to make the sacrifices. They choose not to make the sacrifices. They settle for seeing evidence of God's presence, but they get nowhere near him. They don't have the passion that Paul had. But I want to tell you that once you've made those sacrifices, you get to move forward. You're moving in the right direction. When you move from the altar, we run into the laver. 
The laver was a place of cleansing. It was polished so that it was almost mirror-like, so that those who were cleansing there could look at themselves and see the true reflection. The Bible is God's perfect law of liberty. We look into the word of God, and the word exposes us for who we truly are. It helps us see who we really are. And so we stand at the labor of God and we, we view ourselves through God's eyes. And when we do so, he points out things that don't belong. He points out things that might need to be changed. And so we follow God's command. We do as his word tells us to do. Now we finally make it to the tabernacle. We're here. But when we get here, we find that there, there's a veil. There's a veil that's blocking the entrance, and it's a veil of unbelief. A veil of unbelief. There are things on the other side of this veil that we can't see. It's like a blindfold that Satan has put over the eyes of people so they can't see spiritual things. They can't see spiritual things. You, you ever try to explain to somebody who Jesus is and explain to them the Bible and they just look at you with this dumb look on their face because they don't have a clue? That's a blindfold. The only way through this veil of unbelief is by faith. And where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And verse 14 of that chapter says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? <laughs> I didn't write it, I just quoted. So by faith, we enter through the veil. And now we're inside the holy place. We're inside of the tabernacle. First time in our life, we're nearer to God than we've ever been. And inside of here, there are three items. The first that captures our attention is the golden candlestick. It captures our attention first because it's the only thing in this totally dark room that is throwing off light. We're able to see things we couldn't see without it. The golden candlestick represents God's church. God's church is to show light so that you can see spiritual things. From the light of the golden candlestick, you see the table of showbread. The table of showbread, this would normally have 12 loaves of bread on it representing all of God's people. It's the bread of life. Jesus, our bread of life. He's our sustenance. He's all that we need. We don't need anything else. We just need him. Remember the, the bread at the Passover. You remember the bread at the Last Supper when Jesus broke it and gave disciples. He said, this is my body. This is me. I'm your sustenance. I'm your life. We see the altar of incense. The altar of incense is our prayers. You can't have a relationship with God. You can't get close to God if you don't communicate with him. You don't just speak to him a one-sided thing. A lot of us do that. Okay, God, here's my to-do list. Amen. But you listen to him. The Bible says that our prayers are our sweet-smelling Savior in the nostrils of God. As we pray, we communicate with God. He communicates with us. God loves that. Oh, we are close now. We're close to the presence of God. We're closer than we've ever been and yet, we run into another veil. Hmm. We can't go through. It's a veil of flesh. Nobody can get through it. Nobody can get through it. 
In the Old Testament, only the high priest on the Day of Atonement was allowed to pass through that veil, and he had to do it with blood. Fearing for his life, he had to do it with blood to come before the presence of God for the sins of his people. As Jesus hung on the cross, the burden of the sin curse that began with Adam was cast upon his shoulders. The weight of the curse of sin that's on all of us was cast on his shoulders. And then on top of that weight was your sin and my sin. As if it wasn't heavy enough, our personal sin was cast upon him. And if that wasn't bad enough, then the wrath of God was poured out on all that sin on top of Jesus. When Jesus prayed in the garden, God allowed this cup to pass from me. He wasn't talking about being crucified. Anybody could be crucified. He was talking about the cup of God's wrath that was going to be poured out on sin on him while he was on the cross. I want you to know that while Jesus was on the cross, that's when he suffered hell. That's when he suffered hell. He took everything that hell could give, but hell couldn't take him. While he was hanging there under this weight, I believe that he began pushing his body upward off of the nails in his feet. And he began to pull himself upward on the nails in his hands. He rose as high as he could go and he shouted, it is finished. I did it. I won. And when he did, the veil was split from top to bottom so that whosoever will can move into the presence of God. You see, we're a long way away from where we need to be. We're a long way away from where we should want to be. We have satisfied ourselves with attending church regularly, with sitting in a Sunday school class or a Bible study, We've satisfied ourselves with a mediocre Christianity, but we are nowhere near the presence of God. But you know what? The way's been made. The way has been made. It will take sacrifice. It'll take the word of God. It will take preaching. It will take faith. But we can get there because God's told us we can get there. My challenge to you today is to get away from your quick fix Christianity and to pursue something that is richer and deeper than you have ever had with God. It means sacrifice. It means letting go of some things that are not important. You're not going to carry them with you into eternity. They're not important. And reaching out to the only one who is important. Don't be satisfied with seeing evidence of God's presence, but seek to see him personally because God wants that kind of relationship with you. Father, today, I am thankful that you have provided a way for us to get close to you. But God, we know that nobody gets close to you without becoming like you first. God, there are things in our life that will fall away the closer we get. It's not a matter of 
personal discipline. It's, it's not a matter of, of working really hard to become a better person. It's just a matter about getting closer. And as we get closer, those things are just going to fall away. We won't need them. We won't want them because our desire will be to be in your presence. Oh, that I might know him. Father, we're born again believers here today. A lot of people are saved already. They're on their way to heaven, but God, they're still stuck at the altar. They've convinced themselves that they're close to God, but they're nowhere near him. Father, I pray today that we will be broken from our quick fix Christianity. And God, that we'll develop a passion in our heart to know you as you choose and want to know us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.